Brothers and sisters, if you would turn in your copy of Scripture to Zechariah, and we're going to be looking at chapters 10 through 12. And if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, you can turn into page 797. And I'd encourage you to have it in front of you because we're going to be walking through it pretty substantially. We're going to be looking at all three chapters together. Zechariah 10 through 12, page 797. Well, Luke last week in Zechariah chapter 9 challenged us to think through the question, what are you waiting for? And I want to start our time with a question as well. And I think this is the fundamental question in our lives that we each must answer. And this is the question that Zechariah 10 through 12 challenges each of us to answer. And that question is this In whom will you trust? On what will you trust? That in and of itself is the preeminent question in our lives. Who will you trust? Who will you put your faith in? When we were children, we trusted our parents and teachers and those who were in authority over us. And inevitably, parents were imperfect and they failed us. They're human. Teachers discouraged us. People in authority over us didn't measure up. Our friends abandoned us. We were often left wondering, where can I turn for my confidence, for my reliance in this life? Because indeed, all other ground is shifting sand if you do not build your life on Christ and His Word. And so... The Lord challenges us with that question. As you look at your life, as you do a survey of your, the last 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 years of your life, on whom will you trust? In whom have you, ha- have you trusted and been let down? And as a result of being let down, we can oftentimes become cynical, can't we? I know that I, I struggle with that. So, so this sermon, if people ask me sometimes, hey, how much time do you spend on a sermon? This, this sermon took me years, particularly the last five years, and really the last 25 years. But a particular note, in whom will I, Matt Wireman, trust, is a question I have had to ask myself over the last five or six years. And I trust that you are probably asking that same question in the dead of night when you are struggling and alone. And so we become cynical. At least I have. And maybe you find yourself cynical. And saying, I can't trust anybody, so I'm not going to trust anybody ever again. They broke my trust. They hurt me. So I'm just going to rely on me. I'm going to trust myself because there I know I can handle it. And if you are like me, you've spent time trusting yourself and you have failed yourself. Because your shoulders were never meant to carry the burdens that you have. The needs that you have. And neither was your spouse, neither were your kids, neither is your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your neighbor or your worker or your co-worker or your boss or a pastor or a teacher... Humans were not meant to bear the weight of your needs, friend. 
I'm reading a book that my counselor encouraged me to read called The Needs of the Heart. I'd encourage you to, I'm, I'm only in the introduction. He texted me, he said, I want you to read the introduction very carefully. And that's all I got through, actually I got through chapter one. It's called The Needs of the Heart by Chip Dodd. And this is what he writes in his introduction. He says, I believed my greatest strength was not needing help. I didn't know that what I thought of as my greatest strength functioned to help me run away from the vulnerability of feeling and needing. I just thought that if I had a problem, I'd figure it out. I believed that if I figured hard enough and long enough, I'd get it done. I did not know that what I thought of as a strength was deadly. God created us to be needy. To embrace that need, to rely on others to have those needs met. Our text today confronts us with the humbling reality that we are always in a state of need. Always in a state of dependence. Our very next breath is not something we can conjure up from ourselves. We need something outside of us. So even our very constitution as human beings consists of need. The question is where will we run to meet that need. Israel had trusted her leaders, the shepherds of Israel, and then they began to trust themselves when those shepherds failed them. And God came to the prophet Zechariah and asked Israel to reconsider their confidence. Where were they putting their trust? You see, this is the issue of reliance is not uncommon. It's not uncommon to anyone who has flesh and blood and and interacts with people. We were created to trust. We were created to rest. And we were created to be as God created us to be. And those are people in need. But when people prove otherwise, God beckons us to hear His voice. Everyone in this room has been hurt by someone. I promise you that. Every single person in this room. Live long enough, you'll be hurt by someone close to you. And God is whispering to you this morning to find your rest in Him. We just sang that, right? Abide with me, right? What do we, what do we see here? Thou hast not left me, though I oft left thee. And many people have hurt and you know, other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless abide with me. And that has to be our prayer. The Christian life is meant to be a life of following Christ. And too often times we pile up on it a list of things that we ought to and ought not to do. And God is calling out to you this morning, if you've been hurt, if you've been discouraged, if you have been let down, the Lord wants you to hear Him say, abide with me. Don't run after other things that will never meet those needs. And never were they meant to. They were meant to point to the one who can. And so, um, if you're taking notes, the main point of this message is the title of the sermon. The Saving Shepherd of the Slaughtered. The Lord saves those who are slaughtered. 
So we're going to look at our text, and I've got three places for us to go in following the three chapters that we're going to be looking at. And so the first point is this, that there are insecure shepherds, or if you like, uh, unsure shepherds. Insecure shepherds. And we see that here in verses 1-3 through of chapter 10. He says, The Lord says through Zechariah to Israel, He says, Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds and He will give them showers of rain to everyone the vegetation of the field. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore, The people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders. The Lord encourages His people to ask Him for their needs to be met. He says, ask of Me the rain to come down. Don't sacrifice to your idols who you think and who you have tried to get to rain down and give you a bumper crop. Stop relying on your ability to sacrifice enough, to do enough. Stop putting your faith in false idols. The more they sacrificed to their household gods, verse 2, the more the diviners saw lies and they told false dreams and gave empty consolation, the drier the land got. The more desperate God's people got. Have you ever found yourself doing that when someone breaks your trust or you get discouraged because they hurt you that you are just clamoring for some kind of answer? Anything. The shepherds that were all around them were not caring for them. And they are the one that God is angry with. Because the question is, how can the Lord say that they are afflicted for lack of a shepherd? Because there were shepherds all around them, right? So what what is God getting at here? It's the same issue that drove Jesus to compassion on Israel when He looked at them and they were lost and helpless. Sheep without a shepherd. Sure, there were leaders all over the place. And then Jesus Himself looks out on Jerusalem and He says, oh, I would love to gather you under My wing, but you would not come to Me. You ran to all other false hopes and false gods and yourself to be able to meet your needs I wanted to gather you under my wing so that I could meet your needs. Is this not the situation with so many houses of worship this morning? Shepherds seek the welfare of others, not for themselves. True shepherds lay down their life for the sheep, but you can be sure that there are plenty of shepherds who are seeking their own. And we'll see this again in in verses 1-7 through of chapter 11. We'll see this again that the shepherds who were meant to protect the sheep are the very ones who are eating the sheep. Who are slaughtering the sheep for building themselves up. Building up their own little kingdoms. But let's be honest, it's not as though this is only for religious leaders either. Sure, there are plenty of us who have been hurt by church leaders. That is for sure. This runs the gamut of anybody in leadership. Anything that we can lay our confidence in that is finite. And of late, it's political leaders. Christians are mistaking power as the answer to the change that they're seeking. 
And as the psalmist says, some trust in chariots and some trust in princes, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So Christian, do not put your hope and your confidence in false idols that can never meet your need. I do not care if it is on the left or the right. They will not meet your needs. They will not get the answer that you desire. They will give a false and empty consolation indeed. See, just as Israel saw in Zechariah's day and in Jesus' days and in the days throughout the church, the Lord will not let this persist. He is about knocking down all those false idols. Chopping the trees down. This has been happening in the church since its inception and even before that as we see here. The Lord's brought judgment in the past on leaders who have gone astray. And the Lord is, is trying to challenge us to see that and, and we should grieve when a leader falls. I'm talking about in the church now. When a leader falls, we should grieve that. But we ought not to just start to run after following. I mean, there's so many times I've seen you know, leaders who have fallen and then people are building up their church again. And they're like, well, I think they learned their lesson. They did their you know, compensation, so to speak. And they run after the same leaders as opposed to really looking after and seeking God's face. The Lord's judgment in the past so that He could help people see that these are false hopes. Other leaders, but then even ourselves, we are ourselves a false hope if we put our confidence entirely in ourselves. I've I've mentioned this podcast before and I'll mention it again um, by Mike Cosper called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And he asked this question. He says, why does this keep happening? Why are there churches that rise and then they fall so quickly? And he says this in the first episode of that. If you only listen to one episode, listen to the first episode. It is, it is very um, enlightening. We'll put it that way. And he says, this happens because we as Christians, as the church, encourage celebrity status and run after the growing church and the charismatic leader. You know, the first, the first chapter of that book that I mentioned a moment ago is the chapter of needs of belonging. He says that is our greatest need. And so I think a lot of times what we do is we see this church growing over here. We're like, oh, i got to be a part of that because th- that's where God's working. We don't realize that He was working in the 12 people who stayed with Him when He said things that were too difficult for the others to hear when the crowds gathered around him and they said, oh, I can't listen to this. we got to run away. You know, the Lord is working in that midst too. So my question that persists even today is why have you ever, I don't know if you've ever thought, I've spent time on this because I've, you know, Ashley and I spent time in, um, in, in Charlotte for a season and we were hurt by leaders. And uh, I had to ask myself this question. I said, why does God let bad people lead his people. Have you ever asked that question? I had to consider myself. I, I started going down a list of, oh, that guy's mean. Oh, he's leading the church. And he's, oh, my goodness. Oh, I started going down a list. And, oh, Lord, that, how, that was a real struggle for me in my life where I almost left the faith because I was like, how can bad people, how can the Lord bless that? How is that even happening? And, and I think that there's a ton of reasons that I don't know, but there's one reason that I came down to is that the primary reason I think that I've at least come to right now, is that it provides an avatar you know, or a foil or some kind of like, image of what God is not like. So all of these leaders that are out for themselves and that are trying to build their own fiefdoms, I think at, at bare minimum what it does is it shows us what God is not like. 
And I'm not talking about just big churches. This happens in churches of 50 people. To where you have a domineering person who is not smelling, looking, acting like Jesus. So I think that's what God wants people to do, particularly His sheep, that they hear His voice and they come to the shepherd. I think that all of those disappointments that you've had in your life and that I've had in my life are meant to drive us to the shepherd. Our confidence and our trust, our faith, has to be put in God. And God is in the midst of the dark and He shows up there in our lives. And He's always showing up at those points where we feel most devastated because the fact of the matter is He never left. And when we are devastated, that provides us an opportunity to be more receptive to the fact that He has never left you. So friend, if you've been hurt, the Lord wants you to drive yourself towards Him and to lean on Him for your confidence, your stay, your trust, and your help. So the question then becomes, should we never trust leaders? There's a really popular phase now of like, hey, we're always going to be looking askance at leaders. We should not trust leaders. They're power plays. No, that's not what that means. But what this does mean is that leaders, the kind of leaders that you should follow, are those who exhibit the love and humility of Jesus. Not the most famous, not the most eloquent. In fact, Paul himself was not the most eloquent. Moses himself was not eloquent. But what did they do? They exhibited love and humility. If you find a leader like that, follow him or her. Right? That's what a leader ought to be. So don't, you know, not trust leaders. But if somebody is exhibiting a life of Jesus, then follow them. They probably want good for you. Godly leadership, and it's difficult. It is difficult to be a godly leader, and that's why the call is so great. We're actually going to spend this summer looking at First and Second Timothy and Titus to look at, and part of that is what does the church look like, and then what do leaders, how ought leaders to look in the church? Well, quite frankly, and this leads to our second point, is that they ought to exhibit the character of the sure shepherd. The sure shepherd, that's the second point. And we can see this in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 3, the second half there. He says, For the Lord of hosts cares for His flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like His majestic steed in battle. My friend, maybe you're in the midst of a difficulty right now, or maybe you're just apathetic as we prayed a moment ago. Maybe you're just like, I don't really don't care. I don't really care about reading the Bible. I don't care about talking to people. I don't care about praying. Maybe you find yourself there. Maybe you find yourself very discouraged. The Lord wants you to know that in the midst of all of this difficulty, He says, I care for my flock, even though it does not seem like it. Even when you thought you were alone in the dark, and the difficulties that you've experienced, the Lord in the midst of those difficulties was caring for you. That's not justifying the sin. That's for the shepherds to own as the Lord brings justice down, right? They need to own their sin, but we also need to see that the Lord is beckoning me to hear the voice of the true, the true shepherd. And it doesn't negate His concern for you. Just because you go through difficult circumstances does not negate the fact that He loves you and cares for you. But it is meant 
so that we would run to something that is more secure and more stable in our life. Look at verse 4. From Him shall come the cornerstone. From Him the tent peg. From Him the battle bow. From Him every ruler. All of them together. The Lord is saying, I am going to be like a tent peg that is sure and that cannot be moved with the winds of life. I will be a cornerstone in which you can build your life on as a foundation. All other... All other cornerstones will crumble under the weight of the needs of your life. And so we go to Him for our trust and our confidence, right? He wants to be the cornerstone of your life. He wants to be the tent peg. And this very same language of the cornerstone is picked up by Paul later, right? That He, Jesus, is the cornerstone. He is the one who holds us up as a church together. So we go to Him for our trust. Look at verses 6-10 through 10 of chapter 10. He says, I will strengthen I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. Then Ephraim, that's another name for the ten tribes of Israel. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scatter them among the nations, talking about the exile in Babylon, yet in far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. God is not only going to be the sure strength of His people. Notice that He says, I will do these things for you. Right? What does is, what is God tell I just finished um, the book of Exodus in my, in my uh, daily reading uh, each morning. And what does the Lord say to the people on the banks of the Red Sea? He says, you only have to be still and watch as I part the seas. My friend, whatever struggle with sin that you have right now, the Lord says, you only have to watch me work. Stop striving. Stop thinking that you are the one that you can only trust. You will fail yourself as I have failed myself time and again. Not only is the Lord going to be a sure strength as the sure shepherd, God is going to cleanse the land. Look at uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. He says this, Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cypress, for the cedar has fallen. These are things that they could put their confidence in, right? The, the cedars of Lebanon are something that we can point to and say, man, I am strong. I am able, I'm valuable to other people because they are paying me for my cedars and I'm going to send them cedars from, from Lebanon. And the Lord says, don't put your confidence in all the stuff that you have and all the stuff that you can do. He says, Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. 
The Lord is going to cleanse the land, graciously so. He is going to burn it down, as we looked at earlier in the Minor Prophets. And as a picture of this, God tells Zechariah to play the role of a shepherd, of this sure shepherd that we see in, in this second point. Look at, look at verses 4-6. through six. This is what the Lord does. He says, Thus said the Lord my God, this is Zechariah talking, Become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land. And I will deliver none from their hand. It's very scathing remarks that the Lord doesn't just hold the shepherds accountable here. He also holds the people who follow them accountable. You can't blame leaders all day long. Let me say it again. You can't blame other people for your issues in life anymore. The Lord says, I'm going to bring judgment on the shepherds, but I will also bring judgment on you for making your own household idols, for putting your confidence in other things and not in me. You see that? You could miss it if you just breeze right over. And their inhabitants of this land, I, I will have no pity on them. I think that's something very key for us to understand is that why does it happen? Why did Mike Cosper say? He says it keeps happening because we keep doing it to ourselves. And we get the leaders that we deserve when we run after false and vain hopes. So Zechariah takes on the role of the shepherd that the Lord says, hey, I want you to be a shepherd like these, like these folks. And he goes on in verses 7 through 11. He says, So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. So he's taking this word, sheep traders are these shepherds of Israel. Um, slaughtered by the sheep traders, and I took two staffs. One I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. Your rod and your staff, they cover me. So typically a shepherd would have a rod and a staff, right? So these are the two things that Zechariah takes in his hands. He takes one called Favor, and he takes one called Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. Hold on a second, I lost my place here. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor, and I broke it annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. So he symbolically breaks the favor, right? Like the Lord will have favor on you, and he takes it over his knee. He says, no more. No more. I will no longer have favor on you because you broke the covenant with me. And then he takes the other, the, the rod, Union, and union is meant to symbolize the unification that was going to happen. So the people of Israel, as we already talked about, they come back from the Babylonian exile in 536, and then they set about building the temple, and then they get discouraged. And they get discouraged for about 20 years. And this is when Zechariah comes in with his second wave of Israelites in 518, 
And they said about the work of the temple. And they said, this is getting really awesome. This is getting awesome. We're building a temple. We're going to make it happen. We're going to see God come in power on a, on a trusty steed. And we just keep working, guys. Keep working. Because we're going to see the unification happen between the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah. We're going to see that happen. And Zechariah says, no, because you haven't got your heart right. You are doing this for your own benefit. You are doing this so that the nations say, how awesome are you? The Lord says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. And I won't share it with my temple either, especially when you build it for your own glory. And so what does he do? He takes it over his other knee and he breaks. And he says, that unification is not going to happen because you are not doing this for me. You're doing this for yourself, church. We have to be careful, Redeemer, that we don't do things so that other people will say, man, what a church. How awesome are those folks? Man, they're, they're really making a difference for Jesus. That's good to make a difference for Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But how many times can we say, yeah, you know, our church is just kind of doing this thing and that thing, and it's just like, why are we doing it? If we're doing it for any other reason than serving Jesus in the, in the quiet, where nobody notices, when you go into your prayer room to pray, your Father in Heaven sees it. Is that who we're doing it for? Are we doing it so others can say, man, you go to an awesome church. Get your t-shirt, get your bumper sticker. We're doing it. That's not what we're about. That's why we don't have bumper stickers. That's why we don't have t-shirts yet. And we probably won't. Well, actually, I'm wearing a t-shirt right at the end of this. But, you know, you get my point. Like, we're not, we're not, we do not want to be about that. We don't want to be about, man, we got our stuff together. You should do what we're doing. We're, the, we're doing church right. We've got to be careful. Because otherwise, the Lord will break a staff. And he would say, no, that's not for me. That's not for me. That's for you. So we have to be careful. So this denigrating of the covenant is compounded. If, if, you, if you don't buy that argument, then you go on later on in the passage uh, because Zechariah goes to the people and he says, hey, I've been, I've been playing the role of shepherd. Give me my wages because i got to eat. i got to feed my family. i got to pay my mortgage. And so this denigration of the covenant is compounded when Zechariah goes to the people and says, hey, will you pay me? And they say, yeah, 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 we'll pay you. We'll pay you. What are they going to do? Let's look at verse uh, 12 here. Um, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. This is the price of a slave. We see this show up again later when Judas betrays Jesus, the true and sure shepherd, for 30 pieces of silver. This is the price of a slave. And so, so Israel, in this immediate context, is saying, yeah, yeah, we'll pay you as a slave because we don't think you're that valuable. We don't think that God's Word is that valuable. So they give him those wages. The God then... As a result, commands Zechariah to throw the money to the potter as a symbol of his denigration of their price. He's leaving them to themselves because they have forsaken him. That's what they are communicating in this passage, that you do not matter. We don't want to hear the word of the Lord. The Lord says, well, I'm not going to speak to you then. I'm not talking to you. Look at verses 13 and 14. He says, 
Then the Lord said to me, Throw the thirty pieces of silver to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Um, Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. The Lord says, You forsake me, and I will forsake you. That's what we hear in the Old Covenant. Right? But the sure shepherd as exhibited through the life of Zechariah is meant to drive God's people to him, to a greater, more beautiful expression of what the shepherd is supposed to be. So, so, what is, so this, this picture plays itself out even more. The Lord is taking this picture and driving it deeper to open the hearts of God's people. Look at verse 15 of chapter 11. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. So Zechariah is then now to play the role of the shepherds of Israel and be a foolish shepherd, one who does not lead them by God's word, one who leads them how whatever uh, uh, floats their boat. And so what we see here is that the human shepherds will fail because their strength is finite. And so the Lord says, Zechariah, I want you to pretend like you are a foolish shepherd. He says, for behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. See, the Lord wants people to see that He is the good shepherd of His sheep. That human shepherds will fail them. But He also wants them to see His sacrificial love for them on their behalf. The Lord will establish His people because He alone is infinite in power and abounding in love. Look at chapter 12 now. We're in chapter 12. I'm going to read most of it here, verses 1-9. through Because like I've mentioned, all of these shepherds who fail, who are foolish, who let God's people down are meant to point them to the sure shepherd, the true shepherd. Look at verses 1 through 9 of chapter 12. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. There's a reversal here. That's what's happening. Okay, He's saying, I'm going to make you a cup of staggering to other people. Babylon was a cup of staggering to you. I'm going to reverse that because I myself am going to work on your behalf and you will be a cup of staggering, which is, a, which is biblical language for judgment that comes upon other nations. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. 
And they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem." The good shepherd is able to save the the slaughtered sheep because he himself is slaughtered. So the saving shepherd actually is the slaughtered shepherd. Look at verses 10 through 14. This is is our third point. The slaughtered shepherd. The Lord says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad Rimen in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shimeites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. There will be weeping. And sadness because the Lord Himself has been slaughtered. He Himself has been pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought you and me peace was laid upon Him. By His wounds we are healed. He passes through the sea of trouble. That's what it says in chapter 10, verse 11. He passes through that sea of trouble because the beauty of this is is that you and I have oftentimes forsaken the path. We've said, I don't really want to do this. And the Lord says, even then, I will draw you to Myself and in My being slaughtered on your behalf, I will bring healing to you. Time and again, we have tried to find our security in people. We've tried to find security in ourselves, to try to have our needs met in ourselves, and we were never meant to carry those burdens on our own, and neither was your neighbor. Parents, friends, spouses, children. The only one who can carry all those needs we have is the one who carried all the pain and sufferings himself. And so when you're struggling, when you're like, man, I am going through the gauntlet. I am struggling. I am apathetic. The Lord says, I am near to the broken heart and the crushed in spirit. I know because I've been there. I myself am not looking on the slaughtered flock. I myself was slaughtered for you. I was pierced. And you'll mourn. And you'll be broken over your sin. And that is a good thing. To realize that the loneliness is meant to drive you to deeper communion with God. I opened our time by quoting from Chip Dodd, and I want to um, mention him again as I'm, as I'm closing here. He writes this. He says, Our sources of strength fall outside of ourselves. We are relational creatures. Neediness 
is the paradoxical doorway to the strength we were created to have. Our emotional and spiritual needs involve needing someone to be with us, to help us out, to rescue us, to touch us, to find us, and to seek us out. We are created to be planted in relationships and grow into life. And so this is how this plays itself out as a church. We pursue Christ. Paul himself says that the church is the body of Christ. He has given us one to another so that we might be built up in Him. And you will not seek full maturity until you allow other people into your life. So then the question has, I know that's not easy. That's why I've said it's been taking me five years and I'm still learning what this means. But I I put up on my uh, Instagram earlier this week a a video of Jordan Peterson. And... uh, He says, yeah, you've been hurt, you've been struggling, and it can hurt to trust again, but you don't trust because you're naive. You don't open your life up to other people because you're an idiot or because you're foolish. You open up your life to other people, particularly the body of Christ. You open up your life because you're courageous, because you're brave, because you know that this person in this pew next to you was purchased by Jesus. They are imperfect. But you will be able to see greater glimpses of who God is in being needy and saying, yeah, I need something. I need acceptance. I need belonging. And when you do that, it is scary. I know it's scary. I'm still learning how to do this myself. But when we say, yes, I need, we're opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God coming and ministering to ourselves. And that's what I long for in our church, that we be a church that actually cares for each other in a deep, abiding way, that we can see the love of Jesus and how we love one another, and not just play church, but to be the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I realize that many of us resonate with this. Myself, I resonate with Zechariah 10-12, through realizing that I too can trust others more than I trust You. And when they fail me, when they don't do what I want them to do, when they inevitably disappoint me, I can blame. I can blame them for my problems. And and you're calling each of us to look at life a little differently this morning. To look at all of those foibles and all of those disappointments in life as an opportunity to run to you and to be cared for by your church, which is the body of Christ. We pray that wherever we're at in this spectrum of need this morning, that we would find solace and comfort, and grace, and mercy with each other as we are stumbling closer to You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.